welcome to Launch, the GCC podcast. I'm your host, Marty Duran, Director of Communications for the Great Commission Collective. We're a global network of churches partnering together to plant churches and strengthen leaders. On this episode of Launch, Dave Harvey and I are joined by author Dane Ortland. He's also a pastor. We're going to be talking some about his book, Gentle and Lowly, and some about ministry in general. This is a great conversation, referring, of course, back to some Puritan thought and how we can live a life that is effective under Christ in ministry and in living, generally speaking. So here's our conversation with Dane Orland. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Launch. Dave and I are super happy to welcome Dane Ortland today. This is going to be a fantastic conversation. I just found out that you guys never met. I thought you were like old time friends or something. That is amazing. Yeah, we swapped some some emails and and texts, but never met. And so we're seeing each other uh, for the first time. That is fantastic. Well, we're going to be talking about a lot of things. I know that uh, Dane's latest book, Gentle and Lowly, has been read by a number of our guys in the network, and so they will appreciate this conversation. So, Dave, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you, and uh, y'all just take it away. Yeah, thanks, Marty. Dane, it's so good to have you joining us for the launch podcast. Thanks so much for agreeing to do this. Oh, my goodness, Dave. This is such a joy. And uh, I've been looking forward to chatting with you. So thank you so much for the privilege. So for, for our listeners, uh, part of my enthusiasm today is because Dane is one of my, my favorite authors. And uh, the first book I ever read by Dane was about 10 years ago. And I remember, I remember reading it just thinking, I, I have no idea who this guy is. Um, and, and now we, we get to have this conversation and I'm excited to expose some of the folks listening to, to, to Dane's ministry. So, so Dane, um, let's just pick up on that theme. Like, who is this guy? Why, why don't you tell uh, our listeners a little about yourself, maybe family ministry, and then, and then also talk a little bit about how you experienced uh, that sense of call to preach the gospel. Mm. Thank you, Dave. Well, I'm sitting in Naperville, Illinois right now in my the office of my church here, Naperville Presbyterian Church, and uh, where I have been now for uh, eight months and 10, <laughs> 10 days uh, installed here and serving pastorally. My wife, Stacy, and I have been married 20 years. We have five kids, four boys and a girl, ages 14 down to five. Um, and... Uh, so, yeah, I was working in publishing, Dave, for 10 years. Um, and I, I, let me back up a little bit. I went in late college. I was thinking, I think I'm on the planet for the Bible and discipling and teaching and ministry. So I was visiting seminaries and that kind of thing. Uh, took a year to, to pay off college loans and get married and teach uh, right after college and then went to Covenant Seminary planning to pastor five years in seminary, another three years of grad school, planning to pastor, doing a New Testament degree. Uh, and I tried to do that. <laughs> and um, no one would call me. No mm. one would hire me. Uh, so I thought, well, maybe I should try teaching in a seminary or Bible college. No one would hire me. <laughs> so I wound up, uh, God parachuted me into this very delightful role at Crossway, and I loved it. Uh, I didn't think I'd be there for 10 years, but I wound up liking it. 
but all the time that I was there, uh, Dave, I was on the side in a, in a trickle, not a flood kind of way, preaching here and there, writing, discipling Wheaton College students. That was my, my, my great, the great really love of my outside of the home life and, um, and, and wrestling. So here I am, 42 years old today, when I was 21, half my life ago, I was sensing a call into pastoral ministry. And I don't know if I'm slow or obtuse, or I just, God needed to beat some things out of me or what, but um, it took me about 20 years to finally land in a church. So um, I don't know who of us can understand our lives, but that's the way mine has gone so far. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, I love I love hearing the stories of how God God walks men toward the doorway, specifically when they're being called to vocational ministry, because it's always these twists and unexpected twists and turns right. and uh, things that confound them, things that weaken them, and in so doing kind of prepare them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Dave, I have to say before you go on, brother, your book, Am I Called In? It's six diagnostic questions was the number one most helpful tool for me. I'm not just saying that to you. I've said it to others. Uh, close number two is William Still, The Work of the Pastor, and a few other books. But your book really helped me zero in on, is God really asking me to do this? Because we can really mystify this question. Am I? Is God calling me to, <laughs> to ministry? Um, and so thank you for helping me sort out that question. And uh, so I owe you a debt of gratitude, Dave. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Dane. I appreciate your encouragement. Did you say today was your birthday? Your 42 no, years no, no, okay. no, no, it's not. Okay. Um, no, I'm just, I'm 42 years old. And okay. uh, I was just saying it's taken me 21 years, half of my lifetime to get into this role. Okay, yeah, because I was going to insist that Marty sing you happy birthday, and that that would have been an ugly moment indeed. Dude, I was going to I was going to Venmo you twenty five bucks. <laughs> okay, so so Dane and I have not collaborated prior to this podcast to talk about each other's writings, um, but I do want to talk about I do want to talk about his writing, um, and because I think. The first book that I read, Dane, that you authored, which is not the first one you released, but the first one I read was Defiant Grace. And it was it was excellent. And I remember uh, I was leading, I was about to lead a conference at a time, and I just ordered a copy for everybody that was going to be coming to the conference. I mean, that's the kind of impact that it had and that I wanted it to have on others as well. Then I read a new inner relish where you unpacked Jonathan Ed Edwards' vision and theology of, um, of motivation and, and, and where to kind of source that motivation that brings the most glory to God. And, and I mean, it, you know, if, if, if any of the guys that have been in my cohort, any of my cohorts are listening to this, they know that I always assign that in any cohort I do, because I think it's just such an important book. Tell, on, on the New Inner Relish book, tell us how you decided that that material and that, that book was important to write. Wow. Uh, I came out of Wheaton College, all hopped up on John Piper, and I'm grateful for it. 
um, and I went to Covenant Seminary, and he, he was really talking about the future, you know, the, the blessings, the, the joys to be had in, uh, as empowering motivation. I, he convinced me, and I believe that to this day. I went to Covenant Seminary, and I heard the classic Reformation emphasis, especially you see it in the Heidelberg Catechism, on gratitude, um, looking past with grateful affection for what God in Christ has done. And so I felt like I was hearing two different messages, and I said, I've got to sort this out. And hmm. I, I thought, you know, I always heard from my dad about Jonathan Edwards growing up. Maybe he has something to say. So I spent a summer sitting doing uh, security guard work with, you know, getting paid eight bucks an hour to sit there. And I brought along the two big fat volumes of Edwards works. And I, I was able um, to read six pages an hour. Hmm. And I spent that summer reading uh, as much as I could in Edwards with the question in mind, with the lens, wearing the lens of how actually are we motivated uh, to obey God. And I found Edwards saying both that future and that past and a present emphasis of who we now are, our identity in Christ, all three of those, but all three of them grounded in, fueled by um, actually regeneration, the new birth, being given new taste buds, uh, as more fundamental in some sense than all three. That's what I understood Edwards to be saying. And so that's what I tried to say. I, I love that. Um, that was so helpful to me because I think we, you know, we tend to think about um, salvation being all of God and we have to kickstart our motivation right. and, uh, and get moving. And, and the idea that, that God implants desires yes. uh, in conversion that are that are so forceful that they they move us toward God they move us towards his glory they move us towards wanting to do exploits for him I I, I just thought that was so helpful um I, Dane how did that how did that study help you most in just pastoring people like what do you take out of that well, let me frame it this way what comes up the most when you're sitting across from people and you end up accessing that material. What's the context of that? How does it help people? Well, uh, what, what the first thing that comes to mind, brother, is um, I don't want to treat people in a cookie cutter way and um, put on, a, you know, write the same little thing on a three by five card to say, here you go. If you're having struggling in your Christian life and sanctification and you're not feeling motivated to obey God, um, there's a the scripture is replete with motivations and uh, of a, a past, a present, a future, all grounded in new birth. And I, I want to sit with someone. And I mean, Jesus, when he engaged every single person differently, he never said exactly the same thing to different people. So some people, they are going to be um, profoundly uh, uh, empowered by their present status as a daughter or a son of God right now who they now are in, in spiritual adoption. Others are going to be powerfully motivated by some other motivation. So I, I, want, to, I want to sit and listen a lot first and then um, seek to bring something from the scripture to bear on this unique God-imaging, fallen, ruinous, glorious <laughs> man or woman. Mm. Um, so one... The first thing that comes to mind, Dave, is simply not treating people in a in a robotic, mechanical way. The scripture has something for everyone. 
Yeah. And and I, I remember just in the opening, I think it's like in the opening pages where you kind of talked about how Edwards or or your interpretation of all of it was the past source of motivation is gratitude, the present is identity, the future is is benefit. Was that it? Mm-hmm. And just right there, I just thought, okay, wait, let me pause, let me ponder that, because all of a sudden, you know, your your tool belt has broadened, mm-hmm. and you're no longer saying, well, no, no, this is how you cultivate gratitude. It's got to be this way, or this is what, you know, you've got three different things that, that Scripture teaches right. and, and ways to go about it, which I, I just thought was so helpful. Thank you, Dave. So, so Dane and Marty, feel free to jump in here uh, if you if you got any thoughts. But I was going to go in the direction of of, of gentle and lowly, um, because you've had what I'm sure for you has been a surprising experience, Very which is that you, yeah, yeah, I, I I would imagine you know you write this book, gentle and lowly, published by Crossway about uh, Thomas Goodwin's view of. Of, of the heart of Christ for us. And, and something like that becomes uh, a, a runaway bestseller. And, um, you know, that seems pretty significant. That seems to say something, um, not only just about the goodness of God uh, in, in circulating material about the heart of Jesus, but, but about what, what needs are out there. Yeah. And so I wondered, like, as you reflect on that, and, and speak specifically to the pastors that might be listening, what does the response to that book say about where Christians are right now? How do you reflect on that? What should, what should we as pastors be, be learning from that? Oh, my. Christians deeply, deeply believe God is tolerating them. I rolled out of bed this morning. That was my functional theology. I do not believe on my own steam, uh, in in my, my natural reflex, Dave. I've been walking with the Lord for 36 years, I think. My natural reflex after those years of walking with him, being in good churches, a good family, knowing my Bible well, several theology degrees, my natural instinct is God is putting up with me, and I keep screwing up, eventually that mountain of mercy is going to run dry. And the logic of the gospel grounded in what God, proven in Christ's very heart is, (laughs) is the unutterable, unspeakable, almost unbelievable. We would not believe it if it were not there in black and white, staring back at us from the pages of scripture, is that actually his mountain of mercy grows as I sin my way through my life. Uh, That's the logic of the end of Romans 5 into the beginning of Romans 6 anyway. Um, And the question is, we've had a wonderful recovery of gospel-centeredness in our generation, as every generation must You guys have been a part of that, Dave, and I love it. Let's never stop singing about and celebrating that. (laughs) But the question is, beneath the formula of the gospel, beneath the work of Christ, which is worth dying for, the truth of, beneath that is a person. There's not only skeleton, but flesh. 
there, there, there's a, a, I mean, I had great classes on the person of Christ, Nicene Orthodoxy, and the work of Christ, atonement. I never had a class on the heart of Christ. Mm. And this, this is what is keeping me afloat in my life. This is a sustainable Christian life. I can, I can live this Christian life. If, if this is what his heart is in Old Testament and New, this is not a New Testament reality only. Uh, and Dave, do you not agree? Christians don't believe it. They believe God loves them. They believe that God is going to bring them to heaven one day. We are orthodox and reformed. But um, that, that, that Christ's heart, here it is, that his very heart, which we know from the Bible, is the very innermost core, not his frothy emotional life only, what his innermost m- motivation <laughs> uh, is, is that he is most deeply drawn to my worst. <laughs> we do not believe that. We resist that with everything in us. I believe my ministry is to convince people of that until I retire. I'm never going to say, okay, enough of that. Now we'll move on to something else because people don't believe it. We deeply believe he loves us, but is putting up with us, tolerating us. Not that in my darkest, the darkest crevices of my heart and life, that is where God loves me the most. We don't believe that, but that's actually the only thing that can change me because that is utterly utterly unlike the way we treat one another we create christ in our image and we think he's a bigger better smileier version of us so i'm sorry for going on at length here i i'm just very very fired up about this because we reject this we orthodox christians stiff arm what his heart is and we've got to stop doing that i'm just going to jump I in here and say thoughts. that's exactly right there's there's no doubt there's the First and first John one translation has, uh, behold the kind of love the father has lavished on us yeah. and the average Christian doesn't either doesn't believe it or doesn't understand it, but they, they can't, they can believe God loves us. They can't believe God is in love with me in that sense. Totally. Agree. I believe that Marty. So Dane, when you say you woke up this morning and you woke up in the default mode that I think most Christians can relate to, which is God is tolerating me. Take us back to that moment. And, and what did you do when you realized where you were? I rolled out of bed, opened up the curtains, and I said aloud, oh, God, have mercy on me. I went downstairs and I got my coffee. Um, I do better caffeinated. <laughs> I got my coffee. And... Um, and um, I opened up my Bible, and I've, I've got it open right here. And I went back to something that I was reflecting on with a, a, a few others yesterday, where Jesus said in John 15, this is my commandment, that you, have, that you love one another as I have loved you. Question, how has he loved me? I would not believe this if any of you told me, and it weren't in the Bible, as I have loved you, I'm to love others. How has Christ loved me? Three verses later, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. 
kathos, as, just as, in the way that kathos, the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Love, I, this is my commandment, that you love one another, kathos, I have loved you. Who could possibly not flourish under that? So, Dave, I became a Christian again today. I mean, I believe in once saved, always saved. Theologically, I'm a Calvinist. With all due, I hope I can say that on your podcast. That that's my theology. Okay, all right. I had to I had to get reconverted this morning because all it takes me is a good seven hour sleep, mm-hmm. and I wake up functionally freaking out over my life. Um, and needing really, I mean, get converted again to calm down. <laughs> That's all I really need to be calmed. I mean, you mentioned Edwards earlier. He liked to use the word serenity, the serenity of walking with God, the peaceableness. So that's what I needed. And actually, I can't be a Christian if the, if if John 15, 9 and 12 is not to forget it. If If the pressure's on, forget it. I quit. Um, so I just, uh, I, my heart left in neutral slides away the mm. inertia of life in my inner life. If I shift it, put it in neutral, I don't even, it's imperceptible to me, but a few hours later, I am frantic and frenetic, uh, mm. believing I need to control and manipulate my way into circumstantial pleasantness and uh, and comfort it's not true that's what hell wants me to believe um i am walk i am edward said that the love of god is an ocean without shores or bottom i am swimming in the borderless love of god i can't get out of it i can't not even i can get myself out of it if we believe what we say we believe about the gospel. The logic of Colossians and Ephesians is that Jesus Christ now in heaven would have to be pulled down by Satan and put back in the tomb in order for me to get kicked out of Christ's heart. That's the law. That's Pauline theology. I'm that safe. But I woke up this morning wondering if that's really true. So I had to open a Bible with my coffee and believe it all over again. Mm. Yeah, and, and the and the wonder of the gospel is that is that when we're feeling God tolerates me, Jesus is rushing toward us in that moment, saying, "You're awake. <laughs> Let's have fellowship. I love you," yes. and, uh, and 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 coaxing us toward Him in such a loving and caring way. Uh, Kim and I were talking last night, just because uh, I've been I've been trying to read through John, like just one chapter at a time devotionally and uh you know i was on jesus wept yesterday and uh just those and those two words and all that it says um knowing that lazarus you know is going to be raised from the dead you know in five minutes the problem's going to be solved and uh and yet there's there's a way that he is just connecting with the reality of of a fallen world and the fallen human condition and and the pain that people are suffering and him you know, his embodiedness and uh and he's there 
he's yes, sympathizing yes. he's yes he, he's meeting them and meeting us you know in the grief of life yes and knowing that it's all going to be changed in just a minute but he's there yes. with us yes. so that really affected me the sheer the sheer wonder and mercy and comfort of solidarity with us yes he died in our place he pushed us out of the way but also the withness of Christ is is something I have not known, Dave. I've just been learning about this in recent years, and I'm not going back. <laughs> and was did Goodwin have a profound impact on you in that way, or was it just a number of different authors? Have you read the little Puritan paperback, The Heart of Christ, Dave? I don't, if I have, I don't remember You've doing it. you got to get it for $8.99 or whatever it is. Tiny little black Puritan paperback with little lamb bound on the front. Dave, I, I, I could not believe, this is the guy who popped up 357 times in the 1640s in the Westminster Assembly more than anyone else to lobby with little mini speeches in the crafting of the Westminster Confession of Faith. That oh. hell-affirming, wrath-affirming, statement of faith goodwin that's the guy who wow. wrote that book and it's littered all through his i know we're doing audio not video but i got volume nine here 560 pages on predestination <laughs> and you find the heart of god and of christ in that it's all through his writings it's not just in that little puritan paperback he couldn't stop talking about it you get it more sporadically in Bunyan, Owen, and Sibs, but it's replete in Goodwin. Um, he was captured by, he was enraptured with how God and his son actually feel about his people. Mm. The pulsating heart. He couldn't stop talking about it. So yes, uh, Goodwin was the one who I, I read. I thought, hang on a second. Are you sure this isn't Rob Bell? This is one of the Puritans who was taught, who was helping create the Westminster Confession of Faith. Oh, you! I thought you can talk about Jesus like this. Huh. <laughs> I didn't know we could talk about him like this. I wow. thought that's how liberals talked. And they, they here's a guy, fully orthodox in his Christology and theology, talking about out of Hebrews four fifteen. That was the fountainhead verse for that book, Goodwin the heart of Christ who is in heaven for sinners who are on earth. <clears throat> to make the point, to make the one point, you regenerate Christians think that Jesus being way up high in heaven now is distant from you. Let me show you in the Bible, in Hebrews 4 and other places, Old Testament and New, you're wrong. Mm. Let me show you He's not like you. And there are statements. It's very analytical. You have to kind of mine hard to get the gold. But the gold in there is, uh, I, I still haven't picked myself up off the ground after reading that eight years ago. Wow. So for our listeners, I think that uh, constitutes a subtle endorsement for the heart of Christ. <laughs> by thomas goodwin it's uh 8.99 is that crossway dane it's a banner i mean 8.99 i'm guessing i don't know what it costs it's yeah, a banner yeah. truth book okay uh, banner truth uh, get book. it get it before it's out of uh, they need more inventory get it 
<laughs> you can you can get it uh, uh, through Vintage Puritan for four ninety nine right now. Oh, let's go! Okay. I'm, oh. I'm I'm gonna get it as soon as this is done. Um, okay, so let me just shift gears for a second, and then I'll I'll, I'll let you wrap up, Dane. This has been, this has been so helpful already. Um, so we're we're doing some theological triage right now uh, with the GCC board. Um, and if that's not a term that's familiar to you as a listener, that's just a way to kind of identify biblical priorities and and the institutional priorities of different doctrines. Mm. Um, that the term was popularized, I think, by by Moeller, but but it's it's been most helpfully kind of exposited by your your brother Gavin yes. in, in finding the right hills to die on, which is a excellent book. book. Yeah, it's an excellent book. It's circulated through parts of GCC. The board has all read it. Um, but but in all this, it, it kind of occurs to me that your your family is a place where you know theological triage has probably been a way of life. <laughs> because you're you know you got your dad so your dad's this uh non-denominational a to nine guy yep. and your brother gavin who wrote that book is a baptist and you're a presbyterian so yes. has has navigating those differences been you know a, a a delicate thing in your world and my older brother is an anglican at Oak Hill over in London. And my dad just became a canon theologian in the Anglican Church in North America. So we're we're either very confused. <laughs> <laughs> or something else. Um, has that been delicate? No. What an easy question to answer. Not at all. Not at all. Um, my my dad always set the tone in our house, Dave. And um uh, my, my, my dad has never been theologically brittle or doctrinally insecure or um, argumentative. I don't, I would have to think long and hard to wonder, have I ever heard him, even in private, speak disparagingly of another tradition of the Christian faith? Um, so I, I was never instructed or told to be large-hearted towards other believers in Christ so much as it was simply the tone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and his dad was very, very much this way as well. Um, wanting to pull into his heart every other sincere-hearted believer in Christ, period. And that, of course, is the spirit of Christ. Thank you for listening to Launch, the GCC podcast. If you haven't subscribed already, why not take a moment to do that in your favorite podcast app? Also, rate and review the podcast when you get a moment. That helps us with search results and recommend us to your friends, maybe other pastors that you know who will benefit from the content from this podcast. Also, don't forget to check out our website if you haven't done that already. It's gccollective.org. That's gccollective.org. And there's a lot of helpful information. There's articles. There's how you can join the GCC, whether a church planter or an existing church, and plenty of other content that will help you grow spiritually and encourage you in your leadership journey.